Welcome to Paradigm Shift, the podcast about the intersection of business and law. By changing yourself, you can change your business. Now, here's your host, Christina Martini. Welcome to Paradigm Shift. My name is Christina Martini, and I'm your host as we explore the intersection of business and law. Today, we are going to continue our conversation with an expert in the cyber insurance space, and we're going to continue our conversation about the truth and myth of managing cybersecurity risk. It promises to continue to be a great conversation. It is my pleasure to welcome Libby Bennett back to the show. Libby is currently the president of Cybersecure Work, Inc., a cybersecurity, privacy, and insurance consulting practice located in Maryland. She has been in the insurance and reinsurance industry for over 30 years. Libby spent time at Beasley Insurance Group as the U.S. lead treaty underwriter for specialty lines products, including cyber liability. Prior to that, she held various senior treaty underwriting positions, managing professional lines, employment practices, and cyber liability with General Reinsurance, Inc., a Berkshire Hathaway company. She has also worked for Zurich in primary underwriting of various property and casualty products. In the mid-1990s, Libby became a licensed Maryland attorney and worked in private practice. She served as chair of the Emerging Issues Committee of the Torts and Insurance Practice Section of the ABA. She is a member of the Minnesota Lawyers Mutual Board of Directors. Through the International Association of Privacy Professionals, Libby is a certified information privacy professional and certified as a privacy information manager. It is my pleasure to welcome Libby Bennett back to the show. Thank you so much, Tina. I'm really glad to be here. So in the last segment of our of our time together, we had a great conversation about your journey into law school and as an insurance professional and how you migrated your practice and your focus into the cyber world about 20 years ago, which gives you a depth and breadth of experience that I'm I'm sure a lot of other people don't have. Why don't we kick off our second segment by talking about what are some of the biggest misconceptions that people have with respect to cybersecurity and cyber risk? I think probably the biggest misconceptions are that it's a standing target, meaning that there's like one set of things that a business can do that will secure their systems. There are things businesses can do and they do do, but the Technology is evolving, and so there there are new things coming out all the time, and staying on top of that is really important. But the other part of that is there are some just basic hygiene things that companies need to do that they're probably not doing that well that actually open them up for attack. So think about things like user access rights. Have you given everybody in your company access to the crown jewels? Or are only certain people allowed access? And how are you monitoring that access? And I think if we take a look at some of the large breaches that we've we've seen, you know, the Walmart breach was about, you know, Walmart gave access to the HVAC contractor that they shouldn't have had to the point of sale system. People make mistakes. 
And that's an example of one where the access rights weren't well controlled and the hackers got into the HVAC contractors system and then into Walmart. So that's just one example of one misconception. I'd say the other one is, you know, whether or not to use insurance as part of a overall risk management plan. As I mentioned in our previous segment, we think that only about 30% of the businesses in the United States are actually buying cyber insurance. So, you know, they are basically exposing their balance sheet to whatever the losses are. And I think Christina, I don't know whether you and your practice have talked to many people who've gone through breaches, but you know it's not a fun experience if you have to go through that. It's not one of those that you want to do on your own if you don't have to. So having a partner who is experienced that and that can help you manage through that difficult time is really important. And that's what insurance companies can do that, that sell those products. So I'd say that's a second misconception. So do you find when when companies don't have cyber insurance Do you think it's a byproduct of them thinking that other aspects of their insurance policy cover that type of risk? Or do you think that a lot of it is they have this philosophy, it will never happen to me? Well, I think in the small business arena, it's not going to happen to me. Or I'm using managed service provider, or I'm I'm outsourcing my things to the cloud, and Amazon's bigger than me, so they're going to have better security than I have. Or, you know, I just don't think about those details. So it's sort of an array of responses. And I think at the bottom line, you know, that it's not going to happen to me is is really a false sense of security because the technology that's used to attack companies today is fully automated. So it's not somebody's not picking you out and targeting your business. They're targeting anybody that has, you know, a vulnerability in their software. And if your company that has that vulnerability, you didn't patch it, for example, then you're the one that gets hit. So I think that's, you know, misconception and, a, and an issue that a lot of, you know, small business owners in particular seem to have. And for those businesses that actually have some form of cyber insurance, do you have any words of wisdom to them about making sure that they have the right type of insurance and that, you know, and just to advise them on what is typically covered versus not covered because we've seen obviously as this area evolves and we see more breaches you know what we see as a byproduct of that is litigation involving insurance carriers and the insureds and disputes over what is not covered do you have any advice for companies in this regard yeah i really do so one of the things that again, I've observed in terms of the way the industry handles things is that there there are not a lot of agents that have experience in, in cyber. And by experience, I'm talking about technological experience and or claims experience. And so advising a company who wants to purchase cyber insurance, you kind of need to understand not only the security posture of the business that you're working with, but also what are the types of losses that if they hit that company, you know, are likely to to occur. So we were talking in our previous segment about threat actors target different industries differently. So if you have someone who has a lot of experience in this area, they can talk you through as a company and, and in terms of your insurance purchase, what types of things you're likely to see. For example, what's your contingent business interruption exposure? If you outsource everything to the cloud, well, the cloud the cloud gets hit. I mean, you know, 
they do a great job of trying to secure it, but it doesn't mean it's, you know, bulletproof. And so what's your contingent business interruption exposure? Do you even understand if your systems are down for two weeks, what does that mean to your business? Does that put you out of business? You know, those types of questions, anticipating that ahead of a loss event is really, really valuable. And I think the disputes that you're seeing right now are both a function of the size of the loss. I'm thinking of the Mondelez case, for example. Mondelez bought a cyber policy. So that's actually not what's at issue in the Mondelez case. It's the property policy, which didn't um, have a, it didn't have an exclusion for the peril of cyber. It had a war exclusion. And so Zurich is asserting the war exclusion because the U.S. government had identified Russia as being the party that released the virus. So we're testing, you know, policies that never contemplated cyber being applied to them. Companies didn't, you know, close the back door on those and force everybody to buy a cyber policy. So we're seeing that in the, the coverage litigation and the, you know, mismatch between the meaning of the minds of the policyholder and the carrier, I guess would be the easiest way to say it. Is there anything else that business owners can do? You've given us some wonderful advice and things to keep in mind for business owners as they move forward with trying to make sure that they are as protected as they can be within the context of their business and within the framework of what they're able to afford. Do you have any other advice for business owners as they are trying to figure out how to mitigate these types of risks? Absolutely. There is so much available to support a business owner. I think the first thing is attitude. Realize that you may have a business in a beautiful community out in the suburbs, but from a cyber perspective, you're in a high crime district and treat your business as such that you have things that people want and they are going after that. And it's a global group of threat actors that are looking to take your business as ground jewels. So number one is attitude. Number two is get the expertise to support the analysis of what you need from a business standpoint. And by that, it's a technological solution as well as a, as a backstop in the event of a failure, right? So insurance is the thing that helps you when all the other things fail. So if you're putting in place things like employee education and phishing emails, um, you know, you're doing deep software scanning to find the vulnerabilities in your software and patching those, you're doing good, you know, access management. Those types of things, everyday basic hygiene things are, you know, a great protection for your business. Insurance is there when those systems fail. And insurance companies provide an enormous amount of services on this subject area that is not really that common in other types of property and casualty insurance. So by that, I mean, there are web portals that have employee training. They have forensics experts. They have a whole team of people who are ready to assist the policyholder in the event of a breach. So, you know, use those those um, risk management services, if you will, because you can get value from your policy day one if you use those risk management services before you've even had a loss. So I think there's a, a lot of help out there for business owners. You're not in this alone. And, you know, experts in this area can really help you help you navigate it. So in, in, in that vein, how often do you think, or is this not even required, should a business sort of go through a dry run and essentially do like a tabletop type of exercise where they are simulating a breach 
and then testing their processes and protocols associated with responding to the breach. What value does doing that type of dry run have in preparing for something like this? I, I think, so incident response planning is the term of art that you're referring to. I think it's got huge value. Think about it in the physical world context when uh, you're about to have a flood, right? What are you going to do? Where are you going to put your, how are your people going to be up and running? All those things. People are used to, if they're in a flood prone area, thinking about that and kind of preparing for that. The incident response planning is the same kind of idea as it applies to cyber. And I think it's really important because when these things happen, they're a shock. And you want to make sure that the people that are responsible for the employees, the systems, you know, the communication to the marketplace, all of those things are prepared to deal with the emergency. So incident response planning is emergency preparedness planning, and it's vitally important. You know, if you're if you're a 10-person firm, that's a lot easier than if you're a 500-person firm, right? So it depends on how big you are as to how often you should do it. But doing it is really, really valuable. And doing it when you're doing these practices, practice makes perfect, right? So, you know, doing it on a Friday night on a holiday weekend as a test is a great time to do it because people are away on vacation or they're whatever. So how do you reach reach people? So incident response planning is a really important part of the protection for our company. The work you do is so incredibly important, and my sense is that, and I'm sure our listeners would agree, that as time evolves and the stakes get higher with respect to these types of threats, my, my guess is that it will just continue to become more challenging, notwithstanding the fact that we've developed a, a good knowledge base and have been able to connect some data points sort of pointing in the right direction of how to address these types of risks from a business as well as from an insurance perspective. Do you have any interesting anecdotes that you can share with our listeners? You know, ones that have a good ending and maybe ones that may not have such a good ending that may be helpful to our listeners to hear just so that they, you know, as they develop a path forward for their organizations. Mm -hmm. So, there was a, an insurance company that I was dealing with when I was a treaty underwriter, and I remember the head of marketing telling me about an event that they had, um, this insurance company had, uh, where a laptop was lost, and it wasn't clear whether or not a breach had occurred, but there was data on this computer that had it been, if someone could get into the computer, would be personally identifiable information as well as business uh, data that they would not want to have out in the, the wild. And so this head of marketing was responsible for dealing with the company's data breach uh, here. And this individual was, I, I don't want to say the word traumatized, but the mark of having to cope with that left a big, big mark on this individual. And her comment was, I wish we had insurance because all of the things that needed to be done, privacy counsel being engaged to determine whether there's a legal obligation to notify, forensics coming in to determine what, if anything, happened in the breach, um, that type of thing. Reputational you know, risk and crisis management, 
all of these things that come when you have, you know, somebody that you're working with on the insurance side, this individual did not have. And it spurred her to action at her community where she's now a spokesperson at uh, local chamber of commerce to try and get companies to purchase cyber insurance to help when that crisis occurs. So that's, that's one example of where somebody didn't have help and it left a really indelible mark. Good story. Uh, talking with a lawyer in Virginia um, who is not a solo but small law firm four lawyers, and uh, they got hit with an extortion, a ransomware attack. And he did not have insurance. This firm did not have insurance either. They were 10 days down. Um, They were unable to to work for 10 days, but they were eventually able to come back up. And after the uh, presentation, um, this man came up and just said, you know, it it was such, they were fearful that they were going to lose their business because they were down. This small firm was down for that period of time. They were really grateful for the technological support that they had with, with the community that they were working with, and they were able to get back up and running in our in business today. But he was really sort of, oh my gosh, you know, this people don't realize what the impact is when, when one of these events occurs. And so, you know, there's lots of people who have insurance who would say, thank God I had insurance. These people helped me through this difficult time. They paid the losses that, that I had, they took care of that and, and I'm up and running and I'm you know, wiser for it. So those, those are a couple of anecdotes that uh, have happened recently. Do you have any incidents that you can share with our listeners about where maybe things did not end so well? Well, I would just say probably the best evidence of where it doesn't end so well is the litigation that we've seen around the country. And that's a function of the business not understanding what they're buying the insurance industry not doing or the advisory part of the, the intermediary part of the industry doing an inadequate job of explaining what could happen to the business and then how the coverage fits. It's never a good thing when a carrier and a policyholder are not in sync with the way the form reads. So, you know, this is a this is a subject area where, you know, having those conversations before the event is really much is very, very important. And um you know, I think we understand fires, right? So everybody understands a fire, can understand when a building burns down. You can argue over what the value of all that is, but you understand what's happening. With cyber, we don't all understand it. And so that opportunity to really talk about that before an event, making sure that you have the right coverage is in place and understanding what you're self-insuring is really important. I think you asked me this question before. So it's it crime coverages where there's definitely some holes in what is available in the marketplace versus what companies are ending up self-insuring. And so really understanding what piece of this you're going to take, retain, versus what you're going to lay off to a carrier is an important part. So what keeps you up at night? We've spent a good chunk of our conversation talking about the evolving risk, the evolving technology, just sort of the nuances to what these events look like depending on the nature of the business that is being targeted Knowing what you know and all the experience that you've had, what's currently going on in this area and how it's evolving and trending, what keeps you up at night these days? I think I think it's the siloed thinking that keeps me up at night. By that, I mean the business leader saying, I, I've laid this responsibility of security to my IT team 
and not fully understanding what responsibility as a business leader you have or the board has, depending on the size of the company. I think there's really an underappreciation. And what I fear is that ignorance is the new normal. And that's the wrong approach to have because, as I mentioned before, when it comes to cyber, you're living in a high-crime district. And so if you actually did live physically in a high-crime district, you'd be really conscious and aware, right, of how to protect your business and you know where to call the police and all that kind of stuff if something were to happen. In cyber, people are either willfully ignorant or just psychologically think this is too complicated for them to understand. And I I worry about that. Um, I worry about that because actually you can get your arms around this. You can do things to, to better secure your systems and your business. And, you know, we have real, as I said, we have real global actors who are trying to, trying to take advantage of our businesses and our infrastructure. And, you know, we, we, we need to help, we need to help these businesses secure themselves and to be better informed and help them with any kind of losses that they have. So those are the kinds of things that keep me up at night. You've seen a lot over the past uh, 20 years plus doing this for a living and helping companies position themselves in a way to help mitigate risk and ensuring that risk. What has surprised you the most about what you have seen and what you've advised clients on over the past few years? I think the thing that surprised me the most is that I would go back to sort of attitudes. People treat cyber insurance and the topic of cyber as if it's, you know, it's a nuisance thing as opposed to, no, it's, you know, it's something that could cause you great reputational harm. And I think that's, that's probably been the most surprising thing. Um, and I, I suspect it's because people, you know, they don't know what the negative consequences can be. So they don't, they underappreciate maybe what the negative consequences can be, or they think not that's going to happen to somebody else because they don't actually understand how the, you know, technologically, how the threat actors can, can hit their company. So I think that lack of understanding has been, or lack of awareness has probably been the most surprising thing to me. So Libby, our time together is moving pretty quickly and we're going to be winding down in the next few minutes. I'd love to hear from you what's next for you professionally and personally. Well, thanks so much for asking. Yeah, I'm really excited. I started a firm really past spring to try and help businesses understand what their cyber maturity is, what the threat actors are doing to their business specifically or their industry if they're small. And then what's the economic impact? Back to this, help people understand the place where they are. And so we're doing that. We're helping them with what's their privacy posture as we see a plethora of privacy laws being enacted around the country and overseas. And then what's their insurance purchase? So trying to give them a holistic view to break down that silo, look across the silo, is really where I'm focused right now. I've partnered with a technology firm, a cybersecurity firm by the name of Assured Enterprises. And Assured is a very serious cyber technology company that focuses on the Fortune 500 and the critical infrastructure side companies. And they partnered with me. I'm using their technology to do the cyber maturity assessments. And that way, the company can see kind of where they can improve sort of a risk management that comes from all that and if they're in an industry that requires compliance of there's compliance reporting 
and I'm doing the insurance and the insurance advisory piece of this, whether it's a gap analysis, looking at their current insurance program and trying to advise them where losses are, we're seeing losses in the industry and how that might play out based on what you're buying, those types of advisory services, as well as placing the insurance with three global insurance companies that have signed on board with us. So that's where we're going. And um, we're hoping that this is a new model that will really be a holistic approach for, for a company and really help them both manage the technology solutions around what they can do, as well as the insurance in the event that, that there's a failure at the, you know, on the technology or the people side of the business. So Libby, you've given our listeners a ton of great advice during our time together. Is there anything else that you would like to share with our listeners by way of advice as they make plans to move forward in their businesses? I would say, you know, there there are people that are out there to help you, that can help you focus on what the priorities are and, you know, reach out to them. There's a lot of resources available. You're not in it alone. And, you know, anybody who'd like to reach out and talk to me, you know, I'd be happy to either give them my feedback or help direct them to resources that could, could be helpful to them. But, um, you know, use what, what you have right in front of you. There's quite a lot out there and there are definitely technology insurance personnel that can are there to help you. So reach out and we'd be happy to do that. Libby, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And I look forward to continuing our conversation at some point in the near future. Where can our listeners find you? Yeah, thank you, Tina. Thank you to your listeners. I appreciated them giving the time today to listen to this podcast and for you for bringing me on to, to talk. You can reach me on LinkedIn. I'm at Libby Bennett, or you can email me at LibbyBennett at Assured.Enterprises, and I'd be happy to get back to you. Thanks again, Libby, for joining us. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you. Take care now. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Paradigm Shift. We hope that you've enjoyed the second part of our conversation with Libby Bennett and that you will join us for next week's episode. I'm your host, Christina Martini. Please look for our weekly episodes every Tuesday. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Please visit us at www.paradigmshiftshow.com. We would love to hear from you. Please look for new episodes of Paradigm Shift every Tuesday.